What's up, Red Letter Disciples? I'm Zach Zinder. I get the privilege to co-host this podcast with my good friend, Pastor Chris Johnson, and he'll be joining in a couple of minutes. We have a really powerful episode today featuring Gloria Umana. She is a hope dealer. That's a pretty cool title, but it all started through her spoken word and creativity. But now she's found a way to bring hope to so many cities and individuals across the world in a tangible practical way called Hope Booths. So you'll hear more about that. Plus, Gloria is going to share about the importance of just looking somebody in the eye, how everyone has the ability to be creative. And and of course, we're going to hear more of her story. And what you're going to find is the reason she's giving hope to so many today is because God's moved in her story in a powerful way. She's going to retell the moment. I'm not going to spoil what this is like, but the, the moment that, that she was ready to walk out the door to attempt to end her life and how God showed up and changed her life. And so it's awesome. It's powerful. One of my favorite stories of the Red Letter Disciple podcast history is happening today. But first, today's episode is brought to you by Red Letter Living. We create resources like this podcast to challenge you to be greater disciples of Jesus. Our inaugural book, the one that started it all, was called Red Letter Challenge. And it's a 40-day challenge with the the same goal to challenge you to be a greater follower of Jesus. It's going to teach you the best way to follow Jesus is simply to follow Jesus. It's that simple. We are hearers and doers of God's word. And so as you get into this reading and doing of God's word, you'll also be introduced to five discipleship targets, being, forgiving, serving, giving, and going that we believe are really important in the life of a disciple because, well, they came from the mouth of Jesus. And so you can follow Jesus with with passion, with purpose. And listeners, this is new. You can get free shipping now on our website for any order over $50. No coupon code needed. So buy a couple or a few books for you and some friends and get free shipping. You can check it all out at redletterchallenge.com. We would love to help you become a greater disciple of Jesus. And that's what this podcast is going to do. And so if this podcast has been helpful for you, or if you're a regular listener and you have not yet, would you please do us the honor of subscribing and following, and then also giving us a five-star rating. And if you're going to already give us five stars, take a couple extra minutes and write a quick review. Let us know which podcast was meaningful to you. Maybe it's this one. Maybe you'll, maybe you'll listen to this one and, and you've got something you want to share about how this podcast inspired or challenged or motivated or brought hope to you. That would mean the world to us. And I know Gloria would be really great to, for her to hear that her story is giving even more people hope. So speaking of Gloria, let's get to her story. Let's do this. Today, I'm pumped. We are bringing a, a, a really awesome person onto the podcast. It's Gloria Umana, and she is an internationally known and sought after communicator and spoken word artist. I want to be sought after <laughs> for once, right? I, it would be so nice to not be the sauter and to be the oh, wow. sought there after. You you know maybe I mean? one day we can well, all strive. Hopefully. She's based out of Atlanta, Georgia, and in 2016, Gloria surrendered to the calling of God upon her life, and now she uses her creativity and unique voice to bring to light the power of the gospel of Jesus to students and young adults, men and women across the world. And she's got a really powerful story herself of overcoming suicide and anxiety Mm, and a mm, life of fatherness fatherlessness that we're going to get into today. But her messages, they're spirit-filled, have impacted more than 2 million people, and I'm pretty pumped she's with us today. I can relate to that story. (laughs) 
<laughs> there you go. All right. She's with us here on the Red Letter Disciple. Gloria, welcome to the podcast. All How right. are you doing today? Hey. I'm good. I'm good. And I'm excited to be here. I feel like I'm on like a, a late night show and it's yeah. not yeah. <laughs> right it's very it's very morning but well, that's okay and we, those are filmed in the morning anyway right, aren't they, they are those that's a big shows. lie and also we're going to be doing stupid pet tricks right after this so. <laughs> amazing <laughs> honored to be here thank you for having me yeah. very good well gloria i love it you're on a mission to bring hope to the world we need more of it so i'd love to hear your story uh, we mentioned a little bit of it in the bio but just you're very upfront about some obstacles that you've faced mm-hmm. and so let's just back up a little little bit and tell us what it's like to be Gloria, to have grown up Gloria Umana and how you got to where you are today. Sure. Yeah. So I grew up in a very interesting household. So my mom and my stepdad got married when I was about two years old. So I lived majority of my life, not realizing my stepdad was my stepdad. I thought he was my biological father the whole time. And he was incredible and amazing. And he came from a Muslim household where his father had 13 wives. And so it was wild and chaotic and well, they're so, Nigerian on top of that too so it's well, like let's pause for a second 13 <laughs> wives I mean yeah. I, I you know I have two kids and sometimes I was, I was glad I, you said kids there I was <laughs> <laughs> no I have I have two kids and sometimes I mess their names up you know like I can't imagine they've how, got to wear name tags or badges or something yeah like how do you that do that I have no clue how they do it, but, um, yeah, so he grew up in a Muslim household and God did something really interesting by sending him to a Catholic school. Now that wasn't everything rooted in Christianity, but there was like hints of Christianity there that I think he grasped even amidst like living in this Catholic household. So he got married to my mom and they were both in their own respected careers, making really great money, to be honest. And money was our identity. What we had is was our identity. And it became really evident, like one random year, God saved my dad. And wow. it was through a dream. You probably hear lots of stories of Muslims coming to know Jesus through dreams and encounters of such. And He had a dream where he was literally walking down a dark valley full of people in chains. And he said like he would, he saw flames. It was just fire everywhere. He knew it was hell, even though he didn't believe in hell, he knew that is exactly what it was. And in the dream, he said he saw a mighty hand just from above, literally pick him up and pull him up and said, I'm saving you. And he woke up from that dream and everything changed. And so when everything changed for him, everything changed for us because one Muslim to Nigerian, so AKA intense as it gets. Yeah. <laughs> so he became on fire for the Lord. My mom and him left their careers, decided to pursue ministry full time. And when I tell you our lives were intense, I mean, from maybe the fourth grade until I left to college, we got up to do um, prayer and read through scripture at 5 a.m. every single morning. I don't recall a morning that we missed doing that. Um, and that was formative for my life. At the time, I absolutely hated it. I thought it made sense. <laughs> I wanted to sleep. None of my peers were doing any of this. It was just so bizarre to me. But I also noticed our lifestyle began to shift a lot too, because in ministry, at least at that time, they were not making anything. Like, I, like, I don't even understand how we survived to this day if it weren't for the grace of God. We lived in probably more hotel rooms. One room, two beds, our whole family. I've got five sisters. 
all of us in one hotel room, probably more times than I lived in a house or an apartment. And we came from having a house, very big house to having nothing is what it felt like. And I remember during this time frame, my parents had more joy than I've ever seen them have before. And it was so conflicting for me in middle school to witness this because I'm like, yeah. how, how when you had everything, you didn't seem joyful, but now you have nothing in my eyes and you seem more joyful than ever before. And I knew it was this Jesus they talk about, but I also just couldn't, I couldn't grasp the reality that there would be a God that is so loving that would allow us to lose everything at at the same time. So it was very juxtaposing in a sense, confusing for my mind to experience and understand. And it wasn't completely God's fault. I think there was obviously our own responsibility that we could have taken and being a little bit more um, tactical with how we did things and whatnot. But we experienced a lot during that time frame uh, that was really difficult and going to school, being picked up from the bus stop outside of our hotel was very difficult, especially because yeah. we lived in an area where a lot of the kids at our school had a lot of money, if I'm honest, very affluent area. And when you are a child, um, you don't yet know your identity. And so your identity is rooted in what you have. And so when you have not, you are not. And so I felt that weight of shame so much over over the years growing up because I felt like I have nothing, so I am nothing. I didn't realize that identity is much deeper than that alone. And so that was uh, quite a few years of struggle, which led to being bullied for quite some time because I didn't have what everybody else had. And I also just realized we were unnecessarily mean. I don't even understand like how we learned to be like this. I went from being a very popular kid who was great at sports. I was our top track athlete played basketball during off season and was decently good at it. I was an actor. I made all A's. I was all around great, had a lot of friends, but then I couldn't keep up anymore. Like I I tried my best to fake it through. And then when it was realized that Gloria doesn't have, Gloria is not, Gloria is a fraud ultimately Mm. is when that bullying came from people I thought were my friends, people I thought were in my corner. And I knew, okay, well, if I can't be appreciated for who I really am, then maybe it's better I disappear. And during the entire 10th grade year in 2011, I struggled with suicidal thoughts so deeply. And uh, my parents became pastors and in ministry um, in a very like communal sense, like our community knew who my parents were because they were serving in such high capacities. And so for me to even talk about this struggle was even more shame. I thought to myself, there's already enough. Like I can't add to the story here. I can't add to the weight and the pressure. So I told nobody I suffered through this silence um, by myself for a whole year. And I remember one night my mom said, Gloria, I really want you to go to this D now. And D now basically is like, I don't know, like a weekend long camp for kids at church, basically. Um, And I didn't want to go. It was with one of our like sister churches, but my mom's African. So no is literally not. not. (laughs) Um, So I was like, all right, yes, ma'am. And this was probably the lowest moment in my life. I was genuinely not just sad, but had deep sorrow. And Mm. I remember this day in particular, this was the day I planned to end my life. It was October 29, 2011. I packed with me in my book bag everything I was going to use to end my life that night. And I remember going into the sanctuary and the gathering had started. Worship was happening. I was getting these like 
super mean messages. Twitter, this was Twitter era. So yeah. the, the tweets were going off. And a, a lot of these things were not even true that was being said about me. And it just felt mm -hmm. like the weight was unbearable. And I remember praying. I, I barely believed in God at this point. I think I just was riding on the riding on the code of my parents' faith, to yeah. be honest. Uh, but I remember having enough faith to pray a simple prayer. And I said, God, if you are who you say you are, would you encounter me? Like, I, I don't know if you're real or not. I, I don't know what to believe. But there was a part of me that didn't want to end my life. But I also felt like there was no other way out. And I think in that desperation, praying that prayer of faith, um, I was expecting God to do something miraculous. And I remember time went by and nothing was happening. And so I was like, all right, cool. Well, if my presence is not appreciated, then perhaps my disappearance will be. And I remember making my way to the exit of the auditorium. I put my hand on the door just about to open it. And the person who was leading worship literally stops and says, there's someone in this room who's getting ready to take their life. God wants to encounter you. And oh, I remember hearing that and thinking to myself, there's no way that this is happening. Like, mm. like there's just no way of all things that could happen in this moment. There's no way that this is happening. And then I started to begin thinking to myself, well, people are going to think I'm crazy. Like I'm the pastor's kid. I'm supposed to be perfect. My life's supposed to be all figured out and put together. And he said, I know right now the enemy's whispering lies to you that people are going to think you're crazy. This is your moment to encounter him and choose hope. And I remember in that moment, realizing, okay, maybe this is something that I should pay attention to. Maybe this is the encounter that I had enough faith to pray for. Because I think most of the time people who are struggling with suicide, they don't want to take our lives. That's that's like actually the last thing we really want to do. But it sometimes can feel as though that's the only option because we feel like a burden. Mm -hmm. And so... I remember that moment in particular, that was kind of the day that God radically shifted everything in my life in general. And I'm here today ultimately because of that four letter word hope. Like I, I, I wish that it was some fairy tale that I just talk about, but I think we often talk about this idea of people becoming mental health advocates. You don't become a mental health advocate just for the heck of it. Like it's not it's not a hobby that you just pick up. Like right. it is your life story that leads you to becoming an advocate. Just like being the believer of Christ Jesus, it is following him and knowing him that leads you to become an advocate of who he is. It's not because mm -hmm. I've heard a cool story. It's not because <laughs> I saw something really unique. And so it's a personal thing. And so now my entire life is leveraged around the idea of how can I spread hope to people? How can I remind people that their life is worth living, that they don't have to give up and that there is more in store for them? And we do that in a lot of different ways, which I'm sure we'll get into, um, which has led to basically the footsteps that I have been trailblazing and pioneering today. Mm. Such a powerful wow, story. Wow, no goodness. kidding. What, I mean, I'm amazed, like, this is what I've really been amazed at God by in the last couple of years, because I've really been looking at Jesus as a servant uh, yeah. in, in my new my new book, Serving Challenge. So I'm, I'm trying to figure, how did Jesus serve us? Yeah. And, and the one trait that like that stuck out to me most was just his availability mm -hmm. uh, for us. Like how in the world he can have the rescue mission of the entire world going on at the same time and yeah. individually jump into people's stories yeah. uh, while he's in ministry, you know, through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But mm -hmm. still today, like the, yeah. the, the amazing availability of God to like come in a dream <laughs> to, mm -hmm. first off, to, your, to your stepdad 
Yeah. And and just out of nowhere, apparently, uh, mm. come and rescue and be available to him. And then in that moment where nobody was there for you and you didn't feel like you had a voice, God was speaking to somebody. Yeah. <laughs> had the boldness and courage to then say that out loud at the exact moment at the exact time that you needed it. Well, and the other wow, side of that too, crazy. is like you were in 10th grade. Yep. So you're in 10th grade. You've already experienced all of this. I've been to plenty of youth conferences before. And, yeah. and I mean, that also takes guts. Truly. A, Oh, crud. That's me. <laughs> like, yeah. I mean, that, well, that, you know what I, what I noticed on that day, is um, they said, okay, if that's you, I want you to come up to this stage. Mm. And obviously my heart's racing. Yes. I was amazed to see how many others walked up to that stage that day. I was amazed to see who those people were. It wasn't people that I felt like were like me. It was people who had everything, people Mm. who had their lives seemingly put together. And that's when I realized that, you know, this idea of loneliness and isolation and anxiety and depression and suicide is no respecter of man. I think we see this even in the framework of all of the people who struggled with these things throughout the scripture, but then also in our own lives as well. We've seen the CFO of Bed Bath & Beyond. We see Twitch. We see Robin Williams. We see the person that's living on the streets. There's we see pastors. It's, it's everyone that can be affected by these things. And so I think it's one thing to hear you're not alone, but it's another thing to see you're not alone. And I think that is what shifted everything for me, because that's when I began to realize the beauty and the power of the God who sees is he has the ability to see, but he also has the ability to stay. And I think that is what has kept me here today is his staying power. Wow, that's cool. So he shows up and he's staying. And I think that's amazing. I think you're so right. I think when we're in dark places, whether it's of our own becoming and our own mistakes or whether it just life is happened and we're there, like the enemy, we just allow him to live in our minds and buy into that lie that we're alone, Mm -hmm. (laughs) that nobody else is thinking. And it's just such a lie. I've done a few times in church, like an example uh, where, where we'll we'll list out like some of, I don't know, 10 to 12 of maybe the deepest, darkest, most vulnerable things in people's stories. And, yeah. and we'll, you know, they'll, they'll answer the questions, but then we'll disperse them in the room anonymously. And then have people stand up and down, up and down, up and down, depending on what it is. But the one that's always the most uh, surprising and saddening to me is this suicidal thoughts. Have you ever attempted or thought about suicide? Yeah. And, and yeah. it's like, and those numbers are only going higher, but it's, it's yeah. like half the room. Yeah. And if you think about it, statistically, it makes sense for it to be half the room. If, if every year, we are now at 800,000 people losing their life to suicide. I think about the idea of in 2020 is about 46,000 people in the U.S. that lost their life to suicide, but 1.2 million attempts. That's a that's a large, a yeah. large bracket. And so the realization of one in every five Americans are struggling with mental health disorders or suicide and don't even know it, they are full of people in our churches as well. And I think there's this idea of because I have Jesus, I will not struggle. And I right. think that's the greatest lie given to humanity, because I even think about um, the beauty of what David prays. He says, why my soul are you downcast? He recognizes the fact that something is off, but then he has an anchor to declare further 
be still, take courage, put your hope in God. And I think that's what sets us apart when we have hope. It's not that we will not struggle. It's that we have an anchor. We have someone who can go with us through the storm versus feeling as though the only way out is to take myself out. Mm-hmm. That's so good. And and so, so true. I think that what, what an amazing uh, thing that you're doing. And, and, and though in that moment, you know, you may have felt like you didn't have a voice and you kept it in. Now, like the opposites happen. <laughs> you right. got a voice and you're sharing it and doing yeah. just amazing things. And so, uh, I, and, and I think you're really helping people to see that they're not alone. And one of the yeah. ways you're doing that is through giving hope. Um, yeah. So I actually ran into you online. I was, uh, we had someone else on our podcast, Sasha Bershide. And nice. in Omaha, she's created these things called Hope Lockers. <laughs> nice. um, it's, it's to give, uh, you know, especially uh, single moms mm-hmm. um, supplies and need, um, okay. basic needs that in a moment can give them some hope. So at least they've got their needs taken care of. And so anyway, I was Google researching at the time, Hope Lockers and Hope Booth showed up. And I was like, what is Hope Booth? So the SEO is working in our favor. <laughs> yeah, it took me on this long rabbit trail. And the more I was there, I was like, this is awesome. So yeah, tell me what is Hope Booth? Because I think it lines up so much with your story. And and yeah. and and now you're using that to basically help people that were maybe in your shoes. Yeah, absolutely. So I'll give you first the backstory that leads into what it is. So in 2020, I was leading a collective of creatives and our whole heartbeat was how do we raise up and equip high capacity creatives to use their creativity to transform their city in different ways. And through that, I was also a spoken word artist and a lot of the people on the collective were spoken word artists. And so we would travel to help other churches and organizations tell their story or tell the story of Jesus in a multitude of different formats, usually for their openers or for any day apart from just Christmas and Easter, helping them realize they can be great <laughs> other Sundays as well. Um, and so in 2020, when all of our events got canceled, we just began thinking, what in the world does moving forward look like? And I remember waking up out of a dream And so strongly hearing the spirit of God said, this is the year to pivot from the stage to the streets. What does it look like to use our creativity to impact people who will never go to a church, who are never going to another gathering, who don't have access to internet, who can't even tune in to online church? What does that look like? And during that time frame, I learned this statistic that the average person living on the streets goes three to six months without being looked in the eye. I remember hearing that for the first time and thought to myself, How useless for us to gather every single Sunday to talk about Elroy, the God who sees, and yet there are people all around my city, and I'm sure all around the world, who don't even know that they are seen. We are being poor representatives of this Messiah. Like, what what are we supposed to do? And so I'm a very action-oriented person. Like, I'll think for a long time about something, but the second my mind is in, nothing and no one can stop me. I'm going full throttle into this thing. And so I just remembered, all right, pivot the stage to the streets. Like, what does this look like? We've been talking uh, to all the people we lead on the collective about pioneering and innovating and how to use your creativity to shift atmospheres. And so I remember meeting with one of the girls on my team. I shared with her like, hey, we have to do something. And she was like, what if we created like solar powered like iPods and filled it with messages of hope? And I was like, 
that's cool but <laughs> i think like how would you keep track of that like it could break i just became very technical all of a sudden studying computer science my brain's very methodical and then i remember um we were driving around the city and i remember certain areas growing up we would drive around and we would see telephone booths and what stood out about these telephone booths was at night, the light that shines through it. And I remember as we were driving around thinking about this, the Lord was like, that's what hope is. It's light in the midst of darkness. And I was like, oh, what if we did something with telephone booths? And so after lots of iterations and ideas and thoughts and processing, ultimately what we landed on was how do we remodel old telephone booths and turn them into three-minute interactive immersive experiences that are designed to spread messages of hope and then connect people to local help and support. I think it's one thing to try to find help, but it's another thing when the help comes to find you. I think about my own story. I was at that church and struggling with no idea how to even ask for help. And the help was there. It met me in that room right there in that moment. And I just wonder how many lives could be saved if we gave them hope because their therapists are not available 24-7. Their pastors are not available 24-7. The church is not open 24-7. Not everybody has access to anything like internet, a device. How do we make this thing hope accessible to everyone? Then how do we connect people to actual tangible help and support? I think a lot of times we think that mental health is a problem, but sometimes it's really just a byproduct of a greater problem. Mm. Sometimes people genuinely do not have community and that is why they're struggling the way they do. That some people don't have food. Some people don't have a place to lay their head. Some people don't even know that there are things out there in their community that can help them. And one of the greatest things we thought about when we were creating the Hope Booth is the fact that I was born in 1995. There are organizations here who have been doing the work long before Gloria was ever even born. And the last thing I would want to do is to create something that feels as though it's the savior complex. I'm I'm not a savior and I don't want to create something that makes other people feel like, oh, these, these young kids just show up and make cool things. Meanwhile, we've been doing this hard work for 40 years. And I'm like, you totally are. And that's why we want to create that help and support aspect because we want to connect people to you guys who are committed to doing the work, committed to these individuals in these cities and really want to let leverage your life, your organization, your methods to help people in ways that we can't. We don't want to do all of the work. Like the whole goal of pioneering is bringing other people on board. Martin Luther King wouldn't have been known as a pioneer. He couldn't have pioneered a movement if there wasn't an entourage with him. And so that's one of our biggest things is how do we build something for the community by the community? Not how does Gloria build something? I'm actually okay if my name never shows up anywhere. And we've made this commitment a long time ago that we are okay being people of the fine print. If our name is only (laughs) in the fine print and we're never the headline, as long as hope is out there and people know that their life matters, no one ever has to know that it was my idea. No one ever has to know that I created it. I don't benefit from that at all, to be honest. And so that's kind of where, that's kind of where we are right now. And it's been amazing to see the, the traction of this thing hasn't even been two full years yet. And We've had people really believe in this thing, but we've had people really changed by this, which has been 
really cool. In October 2021, we went and debuted the Hope Booth in London, England, which was wow. incredible. We said, all right, we want this to be a global movement from the jump because this is for humanity. It's not yeah. for a certain group of people, not for a certain country or nation. It is for everyone. And so let's try it somewhere where people would describe the others there as cold. If it works, <laughs> if it works in London, it will work. There you better. go. I like that. So we went to London because we were invited, honestly, to be a part of one of the world's largest art expos. And so we went and people were in awe of even yeah. just the sight of the Hope Booth. And I think that's kind of the beauty of using um, an unconventional method in a familiar framework. Um, and I think it was really cool because it's like kind of a nod to the boomer generation who very much used telephone booths. I mean, I used them too. Like, even though I'm not a boomer, I definitely use them. I remember them being around, uh, but it's also kind of just like a, an innovative approach, a new yeah. way forward of how do we help people who maybe are overlooked? How do we help people yeah. and just create things that are basically pockets of hope around our city? Like Beautiful. you don't even necessarily need to be at the lowest barrel in life. I think that's one of the key things is mm -hmm. if we can learn to create more preventative approaches, then we don't have to be so reactive all the mm -hmm. time. Um, so yeah, it's been amazing to see the amount of people who've experienced the Hope Booth from London to going on a 30-day 19-city tour to having Hope Booth semi-permanent installations all around the place in different parts of the world and wide age bracket. Um, and yeah, it's it's been amazing. I could probably talk about it forever. <laughs> so, so tell me, yeah, I, and we'll, we'll put links in our show notes so people can like actually, if they've never seen one, they can kind of get yeah. a visual of it. So if I'm walking into a Hope Booth, I heard it's a three-minute immersive experience. I heard you say earlier, some of those people haven't been looked in the eyes for three to six months. So is it is it just somebody looking them in the eyes? That's yeah, so I'll, I'll give you the, the full rundown of how it works. So you walk up to the Hope Booth and there's something called a Hope Meter that we've created. And this Hope Meter is kind of like a sliding scale where you would select intrinsically where you were at. You would gauge your hope. And then we also know that there's a lot of people who don't know how they feel typically. And so we also have a emotive word bank analysis where the user has about 30 seconds to select all of the words that describe how they feel. Mm. So we use the data from those two to determine which of 19 experiences that person would receive. Wow. Now they're all written on a very wide spectrum. So some are very specific to suicide intervention. If the data from sure. both that um, sliding meter and the word bank analysis indicates this person is hanging on by a thread, they would get a very different experience than someone who maybe could just use a little bit of encouragement or is just walking by and sees this and thinks, oh, this is super cool. Let me let me just click a couple buttons here. Um, and so we wrote all of these experiences alongside of our science board. I think it's really important, um, even when innovating, that you include people who have greater expertise than you. Um, our team, we carry the creative leg, but we know that there are experts who create the actual aspect of it that makes it effective, that it's not just a cool idea, but it's an impactful idea. And so after um, someone selects kind of where they are intrinsically, they fill out this word bank analysis, they're given one of 19 experiences. It's a mixture of breath work. It's a mixture of animation and some like sound elements. And then it's a mixture of a specific person speaking directly to you. 
Um, so we have a wide spectrum of presenters is what we call them, giving a message of hope. It's a bit artistic, but it's not spoken word exactly. Um, some of them are very intense and some of them are very lighthearted and warm. Really just depends on kind of what that person is in need of. Um, and then it's got some affirmation and declaration elements. It's got some quoting elements. And then we have that hope meter come up again. And this is very important because this is how we gauge if this was effective for that person. Over the last uh, year and a half of us kind of prototyping and beta moding, we've had a 73% increase of hope. And the only way to have gauged that is to have that hope meter before and the hope meter. Oh, after. yeah. Yeah. Um, and so awesome. after that hope meter is then where we give people the opportunity to connect, to support within a five mile radius. And we purposely picked five mile radius because when we originally created the Hope Booth, our inspiration was people living on the streets, mm -hmm. people who probably do not have cars. And so to make this accessible to everybody, we have to make it accessible to what we consider the least of these, if you will. Mm -hmm. And so we wanted to create something where people can connect. And so it's a wide spectrum of types of support, but it's also dependent on where that Hope Booth is installed specifically. So something that is here in Atlanta, Georgia, within five miles, I have everything I could ever need. I have shelter. <laughs> I have a food bank. I have some yeah. churches. I've got a library. I've got literally right by my house is employment services and versus where you live. I, I don't know anybody that lives in Nebraska, so I don't even know what's there. I don't either. I do. Yeah, I don't know anybody that lives there. And yeah, steak and corn. Yeah, um, they can jerk your yeah. whole so, like, I don't need do this for cows. Can we, can, can we, no. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. People in Omaha. It's a good city. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Sorry. I don't know anything about it, <laughs> but that's a little of the flow of the entirety of the experience from the beginning to the end. And then the hope is that they would connect with some of yeah. these resources um, from there and that we would trust our community to do the rest of the work to uplift individuals and really help them um, get the support that they need to continue choosing hope every day. So cool. Such a cool concept. I, I'm, I'm uh, yeah, it's just amazing the more I hear about it. So you're a creator and you, so you created obviously hope booth, but a lot more, you're just creating uh, words, creating spoken words. So I, I, I want to kind of know what your creative process is like, like how, how do you go about turning nothing uh, into something? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess it depends on what the project is and what I'm trying to create, creating, um, I, <sighs> I haven't like fully fleshed out this thought, but I'll, I will share it. I do think there's a big difference between creating and innovating a creator and an innovator. I think about, if you think about like Thomas Edison, you think about these people who have created or innovated things that are, um, have the ability to shift like our world and how we do things, you would never call them a creative. You would never hear anyone say Thomas Edison was a creative. C.S. Lewis was a creative. You would hear them say those, those are innovators. They didn't just create, they innovated and shifted the way life is lived for people. And I think there's a lot of people who will be forever stuck as a creative because to be a creative, all you need is a mind. All you need is to be able to generate ideas. To be an innovator, you need to execute those generated ideas. And so it's yeah. one thing for me to sit and think about ideas and ideas and kind of formulate thoughts, which comes from living life, to be honest. Like the reason why I am consistently inspired is because I am consistently living life, but my eyes are open. Like I'm not necessarily waiting until... I have a project or a task to now open my eyes and look around. It's too late at that point. 
<laughs> I have lived my life with the framework of looking for the beauty in life and everything. And pastors probably do this where you say, oh, that there's a word in that. I watch shows sometimes and I'm like, oh, that's a message. Write that thing down. <laughs> and I have this like a Google Doc just full of ideas that come to mind, things I've observed in life, stories that have happened. And then when it becomes time to actually move into innovating in some capacity, I have everything I need. I don't need to now go search for mm. ideas anywhere. I have been living life through the framework of the beauty of life. And so, yeah, for me, it's, it's, I don't want to say it's simple, but it's not that complicated. Either. <laughs> I just put my hand to the plow and get to work. Um, yeah. And for me specifically, like it's different creating a spoken word versus creating the hope booth because one is something that will be done for three minutes and it's it's done forever. And then one is something that has the ability to shift lives like truly forever and become yeah. a staple in the way we do things in life. And that's why it's innovative in that sense. And so, yeah, my process is it's just limited to the fact that I, I really enjoyed life. Like I love yeah. watching things. I love reading things. I There's just nothing I see where I don't see beyond what probably most people see mm. uh, as just entertainment. I'm now curious, how did they light that like yeah. that? How did they build that like that? How yeah. did Barbie market like that? And I'm like <laughs> always trying to figure things out. And so I think it's just me being an inquisitive person cool. that helps with my creative process. Yeah, Chris and I were talking the other uh, a couple of days ago just about you know some pastors they're preaching every week and some pastors they're, they're on a teaching team they might preach once a month mm -hmm. and we just talked about sort of the advantage because I'm in that that second stage now where yeah. I get to communicate but it's not every week and so I might have a full month to work on a message and like <laughs> and I literally don't have my message ready to go for Sunday and, and, but, but just the advantage of like for a whole month I'm thinking about that and I kind of mm -hmm. know the overall theme but then as I'm living life as you said I can I can pick out things and it's just a mm -hmm. it's um preaching is never easy just as I'm, as I'm sure creating yeah. anything is not easy but I will say that there ought to be uh, more of a uh <laughs> there ought to be more expectation if you yeah. will on something yeah. that has taken a month to create versus a week to create mm -hmm. and and preaching's different because obviously God can do whatever God does when you open up his word he turns <laughs> singles into home runs sometimes and and yeah. things you don't think uh, are gonna land it's like change people's lives which is yeah. really cool right yeah uh, so I, I think that's so good I, I see a lot of people and talk to a lot of people, and I've even believed this about myself in the past, mm -hmm. that I'm not a very creative person. Like, I think there's a lot of people that think I'm not very creative. Yeah. What would you say to that? I would say it's a lie. Yeah, um, I, think so, yeah. I think one of the things I always go back to is, is Genesis 1. Um, there's this beautiful moment for several verses where... God speaks, let there be, and something comes into fruition. And then we are that last, let there be spoken. And when he speaks, let there be, he's not just speaking it over us. He's depositing a let there be spirit inside of us. Meaning we now have the ability to speak or do or perform, let there be in some capacity. And it shifts the things in our atmosphere. And so uh, Genesis one, right at the top, it says the earth was formless, empty, full of void. 
He speaks these, let there be, it's no longer empty. He speaks this, let there be, there's now form where there was formlessness. And I think like for each person to understand that that let there be spirit is inside of them, you now kind of have the authority and the mandate and the mantle to now speak, let there be, whatever that speak looks like. Speak, let there be to the formlessness of your family and there's now form. So for the mother who feels like, oh, I'm not very creative, you wake up every day and keep your kid alive. That's pretty <laughs> creative, to be honest. For the person who is a pastor that feels like, oh, well, I'm I'm just a shepherd. Like the fact that you have the ability to coddle people and help them and keep them, that's pretty creative. So you're speaking to the formlessness in their own lives. You're speaking to the void in their life. And so I think every person that has a heartbeat actually does have that mandate and that mantle of creativity in some essence, whether they realize it or not. And I think our awareness of that comes with greater proximity to Jesus, because I think about even in Genesis one, again, before any let there be is spoken, it says the spirit hovered over the surface of the deep, like hovering is a form of closeness. It's a form of proximity. It's a form of intimacy in some capacity. And so the more I am aware of that hovering need to be in the presence of God, to become one with the spirit of God is when I am then equipped to go and speak, let there be, and I see it come into fruition. And so I think um, for someone who doesn't feel creative, first of all, you're not telling yourself the truth. So stop speaking those lies over yourself. God wants to do incredible things in and through you, but you have to recognize that that's a part of your DNA. It's not just something you pick up overnight. And as you spend more time in the presence of God, just like Bezalel, the first person who was ever gifted the spirit of God, also happened to be an artisan, a creative of some sort. When you hear his voice and know his voice, become one with his voice, he gives you instruction on how to do things. That's pretty creative. There are people walking this earth that do not have that voice at all. And that's what sets us apart. Mm, that's good. I love that. Reference to Bezalel. Well to go. Way to wow. go. Like uh, that was with Aholiab, right? In the in the yeah. Exodus story, building the tabernacle yeah, and using the tabernacle with expertise yeah. and accuracy. I love it. You know what it was for me, Gloria? It was it was a professor that gave me back a, a paper that I had written mm-hmm. and something with the words of this is not creative. <laughs> and, 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 and I took that to be you are not creative. And I it, it was a lie. And I was actually telling my, my mom, I think it was actually I was going through seminary at that time. Yeah. And, and my mom and I had been thinking about it for a while. And I, I told her and she's like, Zach, you're like the most creative person I know. <laughs> you know, so don't I think sometimes we can just get stuck and believe believe lies. Yeah. Yeah. And that's where it always begins a lie. Yeah. That that was even true for me in the second grade. And it's funny because these lies, we, we remember them. Mm -hmm. They're not, we remember them because they're juxtaposing to what we know to be true, but we don't know how to find our way out of that. And so the second grade, I remember I used to love writing short stories and poems. And I wrote this poem, entered into this like poetry contest, so excited. And afterwards, my friend said, dang, that sucked. And I'm like, oh man! I'm just like, why do you hate right, me? Look at me now. <laughs> yeah. And so I actually was so hurt by that yeah. that I didn't write from the second grade until my sophomore year of college when wow. I was asked to write a spoken word. It's not something that I just like decided to do. Like I was asked to do it, and I was trying to figure out after I performed my first spoken word. I said, "Wow, this felt very natural. <laughs> this didn't feel like something I've never done before." And I had been reading this book called The Sacred Romance, and it comes with this like um, 
workbook, if you will. And there's this one chapter where it talks through everything in life, in essence, is either an arrow of pain or an arrow of love. And it has you walk through what are some of these arrows of pains that were spoken over things you enjoyed growing up? And I remembered it suddenly. I was like, oh, writing and poetry and all of that. And I realized that that had crushed me so much that for years, years went by where I didn't even dabble into that whole framework. Mm. I don't think I even did anything creative because of that one moment. And I think there's so many people who are walking around carrying lies, not even realizing it because they don't have the time to sit and process and think back. What are things that affected me as a child that actually traumatized me so much so that it's led me into walking into a false identity and not the fullness of who I am today? And so for me, it took it took it took a minute, yeah. to, but I'm here and I'm back. There you go. And making <laughs> up for lost time. That's right. I love that. Making up for lost time. And I think that just shows the power of words, which I mean, I don't need to tell you. <laughs> yeah. Positive or negative, though. And so a big piece of, of this season on Red Letter Disciple, really putting an emphasis on the next generation, Gen Z, raising up them as disciples. And and, yeah. and I, I do think, and, and I, so I'd love to hear your perspective on this. Yeah. I, I do, because I, I know I know that the next generation is a passion of yours in, in your writing and your speaking. So I'd love to hear from you, like, especially in, in light of like words really do create worlds and mm. change lives and, and stop stories from where yeah. they need to go and, and accelerate. So yeah. as an, what can older generations learn as we're trying to raise up the, the next generation? What, what, what are some best practices for us so that we can make sure that we we're not that second grade kid that said, dang, that sucked. Yeah, <laughs> you know? true. I think there's, there's two things that come to mind. The first one is the fact that scientifically our brain cognitizes our voice better than our thoughts. And so most people are typically in a fight or flight uh, mode in life, just in general, without ever like vocalizing it or saying it. Um, And it's this idea of this fear of what if people find out who I really am? What if people find out like, what I really think, what I really believe. And dealing with a lot of lies internally, but externally we look fine. And because of the fact that our brain can cognitize our voice better than our thoughts, it's very important that for those who are probably struggling internally, we often look to and rely on others to speak life genuinely Mm -hmm. for us to realize, oh, like if they see that, then maybe that is true for me. And I think that's why it's just so important to speak life in general. It's very hard because I don't want to, I don't want to categorize an entire generation of people, but I do know boomer generation can be very um, critical towards what generation. <laughs> can be very critical. Hot take, hot take. Mark, mark that one. <laughs> and, and the truth is we genuinely value what you guys say, like, even though it doesn't seem like it or look like it, we do genuinely value what you say. And so to find ways to be uplifting is I think one of the most critical things that we can do because you typically will mirror what you see. And if I see and hear someone consistently speak life, I will begin to do the same over myself and know it to be true. And my brain will begin to realize 
chemically, this is true of me. Like I am more than what I have done. I am greater than my failures. I am able to succeed. I am able to move forward. And I think sometimes these things can feel superficial, but like this is the way our brain actually works. And I think about this idea of, of trauma. We've all been traumatized in some way. I say often we all have been scarred and we are all a little scared at the end of the day. And so everyone is walking around with these, these walls and trying to protect ourselves. And one of the most empowering ways to disarm people is to use your voice and speak life. And so I think that's, that's one of the greatest things. Use your voice to speak life, but also take us, take us on the journey with you. Like cool. yeah. a lot of times I have like, there's been people I've been wowed by. And I'm like, man, I want to learn. My friends have always been like, honestly, 10 plus years older than me. Even when I was in middle school, like why was I hanging out with the 11th graders? Nobody knows. But I've always just enjoyed the wisdom that comes with being around older people. And now that I am 28, some of my best friends are like 35, 37, 40. And I'm like, I love it. Like, I don't want to be the smartest one in the room. I learn so much when you guys take me on the journey and don't treat me as like a little kid that's there, but treat me as someone that you can pour life into and teach me and mold me and shape me. And I think there's a lot of people who really want mentors and want to be discipled. They don't know how to ask. Um, and so if you see that potential in someone, invite them in instead of waiting for them to ask. It's cool. Yeah. Those 40 year olds are so wise. I just turned 44. So I just, I feel so much wiser this, you know, in the last month. Oh, yeah. Uh, so I've sensed, I've, yeah, I mean, all the reviews we're getting on the red letter disciple. It's like such wisdom. Such wisdom. 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 Also, also notice that the guest speaks 80% of the time. <laughs> right on, right on. Yeah. Gloria, this has been incredible. We ask all of our, our guests this question. This is ultimately a podcast to challenge people to be greater disciples in their everyday. So if you could issue our listeners one challenge this week, something practically that they can do to be a greater disciple of Jesus, what challenge are you going to throw down? Sure. Great question. <laughs> this is this is the one that I think I'm personally committed to. It's this idea of seeing others. Um, and it can feel like a very big task, but I've realized for me, the only way to see others is to put away my distractions when I'm out in public. So uh, for example, if I'm going on a walk, don't take my phone. If I'm going into the grocery store, maybe have my list on a piece of paper instead so that I can focus, but I can also like look around for who needs to be seen. I think there's people all around us all the time. I was just reading the story of the Golden Gate Bridge, um, the person who jumped and attempted suicide but lived, one of 35 or so. He walked and paced up and down the bridge for two hours in tears and nobody said a single word to him. And I just wonder how many people are walking around, whether it's at our workplace, at our church, wow. our neighborhood, our schools, who desperately want to be seen and desperately need intervention. And we have the ability to do it, but we're too dialed in to our phone, yeah, too so dialed true. in to distractions. And so my challenge would be to look up, look <laughs> out, um, and find somebody to see. That's cool. Uh, all right, listeners, if you take that challenge on hashtag red letter disciple and just put something like I'm seeing others, I'm seeing mm -hmm. others, I'm looking mm -hmm. up. Yeah. Um, I think that's so good, especially in light of what you've already said that some people go three to six months without even being seen. Yeah. So yeah. that's super awesome. So I love that challenge. All right, Chris. Yeah. 
What do you got for Gloria? Today? Gloria, at the age of 28, you've already done so much. <laughs> you've brought hope to places like Atlanta. And, and even the, London. Well, excuse me. Oh, this is my part. All right. <laughs> and even to places like London. Oh, did I take your I took your line. Yeah, anything. You want to do the game, too? <laughs> You want, I, why don't hey, you take your phone and let me look you, let me way. look you in the eyes chris <laughs> there you go anywho pardon him uh you've done so much gloria you have grown up and always lived in atlanta true true i want to test your atlanta knees okay i don't know anything so here we I go i want to test you and see if you really are the atlanta. okay that you claim to be okay so with five fun facts about Atlanta let's see if you can get this let's start off easy you know let's start off easy what famous man Gloria was baptized at Ebenezer Baptist Church in Atlanta on May 3rd 1936 I'm not a historian but I'll just guess Martin Luther King that's it that's it yeah come on all right one for one and keep in mind you get three out of five you win some kind of prize all right Outside what sports venue would you find Rise Up, the world's largest freestanding sculpture of a bird? I guess the Mercedes-Benz Stadium. Yes, you would guess correct. Wow. Two for two. Wow, crushing You it, are Atlanta. crushing it, and I like your humility. Watch, like, the last few be crazy. <laughs> well, it is going to get harder. Yeah. Okay. okay. All right. Uh, question number three. After losing the presidency in 1980, Jimmy Carter started the Carter Center, an organization aimed to end human suffering in connection with what E private research university in Atlanta, Georgia? What? Is there options? No. No, it starts. What university in Atlanta that starts with E has? The- I mean, Emory? She got it? Yeah, she got it. I wouldn't <laughs> mind if she was wrong. She's three for three. All right. Nobody yes. has ever got 100% in 50, oh, 50 episodes. Nobody. Oh, gosh. I so probably look, won't either. Look at this humility that you – it's so good. All right. You remind me of a young Zach um, before he turned 40. Uh, what supply chain management – what supply chain management company – began life as the American Messenger Company in 1907, providing telegraphs. The Atlanta Company is now one of the country's largest shipping couriers and has three letters. Oh, I guess UPS? That's right. Four for four. Four for four. I didn't know that. That's really cool. Yeah. See, we teach too, you know. (laughs) Yeah, I'm 50. So, you're like, I'm so, much, wisdom so you. much wisdom in these 50 years. All right. Last question. You could be the only person in the history of the red letter disciple to go five for five. No pressure at all. But uh, okay. here we go. The official state bird of Georgia was named uh, the mascot for what Atlanta NHL uh, hockey team? Crashers. Five for five. She's done it. Unbelievable. She lives in Atlanta. The kick is up and it's good. What does she win, Chris? Zach Teller. (laughs) I only accept cash. Oh, there you go. Jeez, wow. Venmo. I guess we can't can't send it to her. Send her a Venmo. That's amazing. Wow. I think you're going to get Chris's jacket here, you know? I'll take that. That's amazing. 
all the way from Amazon.com. It it's out there. So. Oh, my gosh. I'll send it through UPS. Oh, there, Atlanta you go. there you go. Ah. Gloria, this has been so much fun. Hey, if people want to connect with you, all the things you've got going on, where can they find you these days? Sure. You can find me on Instagram, YouTube, mm. whatever else exists. MySpace. Yeah, all of them, either at Gloria Humana or at the Hope Booth. We'd love to connect with you. Awesome, Gloria. Thank you so much for being on the Red Letter Disciple and for bringing hope to a lot of people today. Great story. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you. Well, some people, you can just, by listening, you can tell, like, even the way she talks, the cadence, the articulation, like... Gloria was born to do spoken word. That's all I'm saying. Anyway, I'm really grateful for her coming onto the show and telling her story and how she's used her life to now give hope to so, so many. If you want to connect with Gloria, her creative work, uh, you want to see more about these hope booths or maybe even sponsor one or put one in your city, that would be really cool. Or if you want to check out our sponsor today, Red Letter Challenge, you can check all of that out at redletterpodcast.com. One convenient link that's got all the highlights and links from today's episode. We go from a really powerful story today to let's just call it a crazy episode next week. What happens when the love of barbecue meets the love of God? That's right. In 2020, Andre Steven Anderson had a wild idea. What if I can use barbecue to bring the gospel to the world? And so he launched Barbecue Church. I love the creativity. So we get into a great conversation about pellet smokers versus charcoal. You know some strong opinions are going to get thrown out there. But through it all, Andre is going to challenge all of us. When God speaks, obey. And it just may take you down some pretty crazy, fun, and wild places. So it's going to be a great episode. Don't miss it. The way to not miss it is to make sure that you are subscribed or followed. Hit the plus sign on whatever uh, streaming platform you listen to or on YouTube as well. We have videos every week happening on there. And again, please do us the honor. If today's episode was a blessing to you, would you give us a five-star rating and even a review and let Gloria know Um, all the hope that she brought to you today. That would mean the world to us. So we'll see you back next week for the next episode of the Red Letter Disciple. A Huda Media Production.